0: St. George's number one station with Washington County's top talk show. The Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 92.5, KDXU. Welcome to the show. Now, I'm going to say right up front, get it out of the way, it is my birthday. But it is also, with the Andy Griffith scene playing in the background, it is Ron Howard's birthday today. The, the guy who played Opie on the Andy Griffith Show, and uh, he's 69 years old. I'm a little younger than that. Uh, by a dozen years or so but uh yeah thanks for tuning in today to the andy griffin show it is a healthy wednesday because we have the doc on dr david blodgett the director of the southwest utah public health department dr blodgett thanks for coming we got him by phone because he well understandably didn't want to try to deal with the black ridge and driving down from cedar today
1: Hey, it's great to be on with you. Happy birthday. I uh, I, I didn't know it was your birthday, but uh, that's good to know. Now we can celebrate it every year,
0: right? <laughs> that's right. It is uh, 57 now, Doc. So uh, all those things that happen when you start getting old, they're now happening to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that, that'll go along with some of the things we want to talk about today. That'll be perfect.
0: <laughs> for, for sure. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, today's March 1st, and we want to talk a little bit about uh, sunlight, uh, I'm I'm sitting in North Bluff Street here, and I know you're up in Cedar, but right now I can't even see any of the mountains. Hardly see any of the mountains to the south and uh, the southeast of here, uh, because we are socked in with clouds. Now, fortunately, at St. George. It's a little bit warmer. It's 40 degrees, so it's only rain. But uh, the sunlight has been a little bit rare lately. Will you talk a little bit about uh, you know some of the some of the disorders, some of the problems when we don't see the sun very much?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. They, they have, they have syndromes, you know, when people seasonal affective disorder, mm-hmm. when you, you don't have enough sun and you in this winter, so people can be depressed and need to be really cognizant of the fact that you still need to get out and get some sunlight and vitamin D levels drop. You know, there's just a lot of things that can happen in the winter. If you, if you hold up and don't uh, try and keep on some of those healthy habits. Okay.
0: You know, I'm just a dumb radio guy, but uh, maybe you can explain this to me about vitamin D. My whole life, my my whole married life, my wife has been telling me we need to get out in the sun. It, the vitamin D, you, you get vitamin D from the sun, from being out in the sunlight. And I, uh, you know, being a dumb radio guy or just a dumb guy altogether, I'm like, no, you don't. That doesn't make any sense. How can you get vitamins from sunlight? I mean, vitamins are things you take, things you, know, things you get from your food. I never understood how that happens. Will you explain that to me a little bit? Well, that's a good question. So so some vitamins you can
1: create within your body, just as yourself. Some you get out of your food. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D is unique, though, because the precursors you can actually develop, you know, produce within your body or eat in your food. Uh, and sometimes you can get a little bit of, of the active form of vitamin D, but most of it is inactive. So you have the inactive form of vitamin D uh, that circulates in your body until sunlight comes along, and, your bo- and that converts the inactive form to the active form. So you're oh. not actually creating vitamin D, but you're activating an inactive form.
0: So. So it's there inside of me. I just need to tell it to wake up is what you're saying.
1: Well, exactly. And so, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty efficient process. 20 minutes in the sun will give you enough vitamin D for the day or, you know, and keep you up in in the higher levels. But the statistics are most people don't do that. They don't have enough vitamin
0: D. So, uh, yeah, I would say, especially, uh, I would say probably, especially in the winter time where even if the sun is out we're covered up because it's cold we've covered up in coats and jackets and hats and things like that and we're not we're not getting as much uh, as much sun yeah. as we need but you say 20 minutes a day is about the target
1: about 20 minutes a day and you know you see different figures depending on who's talking about it but but it doesn't have to be your whole body kind of exposure but you know arms hands face of thing is probably
0: enough to at least
1: make a dent in that so
0: there's got to be a program out there somewhere wake up your vitamin d kind of kind of a program right
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly
0: right yeah
1: so yeah so that's a really good question because i i don't think we do a good job of explaining exactly what's going on there but it's a it's an activation process, not a creation process. So.
0: Well, while we're talking about vitamins, uh, the show we just uh, just previous to this was uh, they called Elder Care Radio with Pathway Hospice. And, and they talked about how a lot of medications that we take um, actually uh, take away uh, some, of the, some of the vitamins and, and, and make you maybe, I don't know if take away is the right word, but they, they make it so you, you're not getting some of the things that your body would normally have. Uh, things like calcium and magnesium and, and different vitamins. Uh, are, are there any any that jump out in, in your mind as being big offenders with that?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's. I think it's a good suggestion to make sure you're aware of of the effects that any medication you're on can have on on your overall health. And this is one specific aspect of that that you need to be really aware of. So, so for example. Um, Diuretics, a lot of diuretics, and there's a lot of people on diuretics for Mm -hmm. high blood pressure, uh, can can lead to potassium deficiencies, right? So potassium is involved in muscle contractions and and a number of pathways in the body, and so um, so a lot of times people will prescribe potassium if they have you on a diuretic that is a you know will will cause you to lose. Uh, potassium and then there's actually a specific class of diuretics that are potassium sparing diuretics so it's a very complicated you know complex mix that it's worth asking your doctor about is this going to do anything to you know to cause a nutritional deficiency that I should take something else right and so so um and sometimes maybe people don't quite know and you can watch for those kind of symptoms yourself but um but you know, that's the one that always pops immediately into people's minds is your diuretics with potassium. But um, there's always a balance of some some of the um, vitamins and minerals in your body. And, and so you you, take, you overdo one, and that, that'll decrease another one. <laughs> so yeah. magnesium and calcium are always one that balance out. They're critical to the functioning of your heart and, and a lot of other things. So we know a lot of people are deficient in magnesium. And uh, and and calcium, and and then you can you can upset that balance pretty easily with different medications you can take things like that. So, I mean, I I, I can't give you the laundry list here. It's just it, it's actually very common, and people should be aware of it. So. You're
0: you're a big fan of magnesium. Uh, what what is it about magnesium that that is important to us? Because I think probably until you know maybe four years ago when I started doing this show. Uh, Magnesium wasn't on my uh, so-called radar.
1: Yeah. Well, there's thousands of metabolic processes in your body that require magnesium to function properly. So it's a coenzyme in many, many things. It's also part of uh, the contraction process for your heart muscle. Oh. so your heart will not beat without magnesium <laughs> so, wow. so that makes it kind of important right yeah so uh, so if if you're a little bit deficient in magnesium your body will start to pull magnesium from everywhere else and keep it in your heart you know so you can keep your heart going and so there's this balance you play and the homeostatic balance that you keep in 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 all of the systems of your body is very tightly regulated and and um and so, all of those processes—it's—it's it's important in in processes for what's called respiration, where you where you convert food into energy, in the mitochondria. It's important in um, just this whole cascade of different things that go on in the body, and uh, and it's really difficult to get a good supply of magnesium because we've won, you know the, it is in a lot of the plants that we eat. And in a lot of the foods that we eat and used to get some of it in water, right? But now we filter our water a lot and so it's not as much water in the water. So I think it's something to be aware of and consider, you know, eating either magnesium rich foods, which come down to, you know, fruits and vegetables, particularly like spinach, something like that. Or um, maybe add it as a supplement to your diet.
0: What uh, what foods, are you aware, just off the top of your head, what foods might help us with that? And, and by the way, if it sounds like we're going, hey, go over to Costco and buy a bunch of big bottles of magnesium and calcium and all we're not saying that. We're, I think what we're saying and, and what Dr. Blondit is saying is you need to be aware of these things, that if, you know... Uh, if you if you take a certain medicine or, uh, you know, maybe even not, maybe you're just not getting enough of a certain vitamin and uh, be aware of that. And you know what? If you go do a blood workup, they can detect most of that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, and and, it's, and, and when you get it through food, you know, it, it allows you to process it better and, and things like that. But, but supplementation is an option if you just you can't seem to get it in other ways. You know, vitamin D kind of falls in that category, too. A lot of doctors will test your vitamin D level. Um, well, so here's some places where you can get magnesium. Whole grains and and the leafy vegetables, like we talked about, spinach, dark green leafy vegetables.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, some milk products, like yogurt, can have some. But not ice cream. And then, and then yeah, <laughs> probably a little bit. And then beans. So... Oh, Okay, so we do eat some of this and and some nuts like almonds can have it, so um, so those aren't incredibly uncommon things to eat but just right. maybe be aware of it
0: okay so. uh one one thing i somebody was asking me they they got sore kind of muscle pain in an area, and I was having that problem, and uh, you actually referred to say, hey, try magnesium oil uh and it's I would say it's a short-term fix, but if you have a sore muscle or a sore joint or something, got a little bit of pain there, uh, magnesium oil is almost a miracle oil. It really does work for for short-term pain relief.
1: Yeah. We we have a lot of high school sports going on around our house, and so we use it all the time. You know, yeah, for okay. little strains and things, you
0: know. So. Very cool. Now, now B12, I, I, another one of those vitamins I never thought a word about until a few years ago. And uh, somebody said, well, have you checked your B12 level? I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know what a B12 level is and what B12 does for you. Will you talk a little bit about B12, Doc?
1: Yeah, so the B vitamins are a little bit different than minerals. You can, get, you can get them and store them a little bit, but the B vitamins are water-soluble and they wash out very quickly. So you need a constant source of them in your diet. B12 is really important in energy. Uh, production uh there's a a condition where you can have an anemia that's associated with B12 deficiency and that can further you know cause loss of energy and and stuff like that so uh lots of times when people are feeling you know l- lack of energy and and uh, like they need a little boost sometimes uh, you know, their doctor can test their B12 and maybe it's uh maybe it's that that's the problem so so sources of B12 include uh, some meats, particularly fish, uh, some milk products again, so we're back to that, eggs, and they often supplement uh, breakfast cereal with B12 as well as folate. So uh, there's some sources for B12.
0: I had uh, yesterday on the, on the Newswire uh, another story. This one, a recent study has found that eating eggs – four to five times a week uh, is good for your health. Now, it wasn't that long ago, eggs were bad for your health, and then they were good, and then they were bad. Uh, do we have any way of clearing all this up? Should I yeah, or should I not I eat eggs?
1: <laughs> the egg controversy has been around for forever. I remember my, my poor grandfather could never eat an egg, you know, because <laughs> cause, cause he had a, a heart attack and... It turns out eggs are pretty, are a good, they're perfectly balanced protein and they do have cholesterol in them, but it turns out dietary cholesterol isn't as big a source for cholesterol in your, in your blood as lots of, of, of carbohydrates contribute to cholesterol in your Mm -hmm. blood and, and 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 then the eggs have choline with them They're packaged with the package, which actually is is a is a potent uh, anti <laughs> triglyceride and cholesterol agent so so I'm on the pro egg camp i think uh, Yay. <laughs> it contributes to brain health and to overall good health it's it's a way to get a you know complete protein like very few sources of food are. I think it's a mistake to cut eggs out of your
0: diet, I think we're starting to go the way where people are realizing, okay, maybe having an egg or two here and there are good for you. Is there a possibility we would have too many eggs? What if somebody has one every day for breakfast or or maybe you know eats ten eggs a week or something?
1: yeah, you know i I think I think one egg a day is or you know an egg or two a day is not um not outside the realm of reason. And I mean, anything, I mean, There's, a, I was actually reading an article about a lady in California that uh, decided she wanted to go on a water fast. And so she drank like four gallons of water a day and she died. Right. So anything oh. can be, can be over, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a level at which anything can be too much, but I think eggs fit into that healthy food category, not in the other side. So don't, don't go out and, only eat eggs, especially now because they're so expensive. <laughs> but, That's uh, right. But, uh, <laughs> you have to get a <laughs> as, as part of a healthy diet, I I, I really think they are a, a wonderful food. So.
0: There was a story today on The Wire. Let's see if I can get to it on, uh, oh, where did it go? It sure is enough. As soon as I think about it and look for it, it's gone. Uh, but, uh, yeah, another health topic, uh, there's a story about egg health. Uh, here's a story about the artificial sweetener that is involved. It's not stevia specifically, but it's involved with stevia. We're finding out that, uh, it actually can risk the, uh, increase the risk of heart disease, stroke and death. Uh, do you know anything about that?
1: yeah. Uh. I don't so it's not stevia itself, but something else.
0: Huh? Yeah, uh, Man, heard of that. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I read an article about it, but I and I couldn't even pronounce the word they used for it. But it's <laughs> something that goes into making stevia a little thicker and a little more palatable for uh, the human. You know, we want we want something uh, sweet to look like sugar, <laughs> and gotcha. that's what it is used for. Yeah, you
1: know, I there's this concept in, in food additives where the, where the FDA will allow you to put it in if if it's generally considered to be safe, right? So, um, so you don't have to do a lot of studies to establish exactly whether it is safe or not, but it's just generally agreed upon that it probably is safe. And there's a lot of things that are those additives in food that kind of fall into that category, which which later on they say, yeah, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And, you know, so, yeah, so that, you know, I, there's always a controversy about whether or not, um, sweeteners in particular cause, you know, cancer or dementia or whatever the flavor of the month is. And, and, uh, I, I don't know that any of that has good scientific data behind it. I just think there's this overall sense that, uh, um, The more processed it is, (laughs) the less good for you it is.
0: I uh, found the article I was looking for. I thought this was interesting. Uh, I'm doing a summary. I don't want to read the whole thing. But basically, the idea uh, is that if we're getting health advice, in particular sleep advice, uh, the Internet might be the absolute last place to go, in in, in particular uh, YouTube and TikTok Uh, Where videos giving bad sleep advice, people say, oh, you can live on four hours of sleep or whatever, are viewed an average of 8 million times, while videos made by medical professionals are viewed on average about 300,000 times. That would be 24 (laughs) times less. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, isn't that true for all of this stuff? Though you know you'll follow the latest trend and yeah. and do the latest crazy that's out there, and yet the tried and true, the stuff that really works, is uh, it's not very exciting.
0: <laughs> so, it's true. I guess that's the way it is in life in general, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about sleep recently, and it's true. There's guys out there. Oh, you know, you don't need more than five, which is absolutely not true. You need you need a good seven, eight hours of sleep.
0: To function properly. Well, and one thing, I, there was a story yesterday about this on The Wire that, uh, that talked about the increase in odds of you getting in a traffic accident based on the amount of sleep you had. And they started with people who got seven. Uh, less than eight, but more than seven hours of sleep, they were only slightly elevated chance to, to get in a traffic accident. But if you went from six to seven hours of sleep, it was like 1.9 times or so you're almost twice as likely. And then if you went from, I think they said, if you get under five hours of sleep, the chances of you getting in a traffic accident are 11 times more likely than if you got eight hours of sleep. I mean, that, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, and and
1: having slept five hours of sleep the night before is roughly the equivalent to a, a legal, uh, an ill you know blood alcohol content level where you would be cited for a DUI. So, um, they 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 even argue, the sleep scientists that it's worse to be sleep deprived than to be drinking drunk, to be driving drunk because. Because if you're driving drunk, your response times are delayed, so you're slower in responding. But when you're driving sleepy, you you do these micro-sleeps, they call them, where Uh you just kind of blank out for a half a second or a second. And and when you're doing that, you're going full speed when you plow into somebody or something. Like
0: that, right? Yeah. You don't so. break. Yeah.
1: So they, so the argument is it's probably worse to drive sleepy than it is to drive drunk. You know, but we don't have a way to measure that.
0: So. I haven't done this in a while, but I remember a couple of times when I was younger, maybe in my twenties where I would zone out. I used to call it, uh, and, you know I'm driving, I'm zoned out, and all of a sudden I'm you know within five miles of my destination when last thing I remember i was sixty five miles away from yeah. the destination. Yeah. I don't know if that has to do yeah. with with uh, yeah. sleeping with your eyes oh, open or your what
1: brain yeah your brain can you know figures out ways to conserve energy and to you know it's uh, it's very complicated, but when you're sleep deprived your your body figures out ways to make that up and uh and it has detrimental effects, for sure.
0: They even said that it can change the length of your life. Uh, and not, obviously, they would fa- factor in things like uh, traffic accidents and stuff. But they say women are, if they if they get uh, less than seven hours of sleep a night, women are something like two and a half, are, are going to live a, a, an average of two and a half years less, men five years less if they're getting less yeah. than seven hours of sleep a night.
1: Yeah, and and it goes up for every you know fifteen or twenty minutes less sleep every night that you get. So, wow. yeah. So we you know we've talked about that book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's it's uh, I'm, I'm telling you it's a nightmare because you realize man I have blown it.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
1: so it's something here at the health department we want to talk more and more about is is good tips good good healthy things you can do to help. Yeah, increase your your sleep. And uh, I mean, the first thing it starts with, though, is like anything is, is, is allowing or putting it on your radar to say, I, I really need to conscientiously think about the sleep that I'm getting and try and do better. So.
0: Yeah, that, it, it's like any problem, I guess. First of all, you need to make yourself aware of it. I think a lot of us know, you know, that we're not getting enough sleep, especially during the week. Uh, but uh, we, th- ah, you know, I'll make up for it, uh, and I wanted to ask you about that. So, uh, I've heard, you know, someone that smokes for twenty years, but they quit within a few years. Their lung has regenerated to the point where it's almost as if they hadn't smoked. Can can a lack of sleep most of your lifetime be made up later in life? Does it yeah, work that way is
1: a, you know, that's an interesting question. I I I think a good chunk of it can be. You know the as you transition and you start to sleep better. But I, I think there is some permanent damage. You know, if you, for example, you're much more likely to have diabetes and high blood pressure and things. And I, I don't know that just starting to sleep helps you get rid of that nearly as quickly as that.
0: So, mm, Good point. By the way, the uh, stuff they add to stevia that was causing uh, the up, up, uh, risk of heart attack is called erythritol e r y t h r i t o l they add it to stevia as a thickening and as a uh, uh, i don 't know there's some some other reason they add it but uh, erythritol is is kind of the bad guy i guess right now
1: yeah you know it's interesting because they market stevia as the natural sweetener right it comes from a plant and things Mm -hmm. and then and then they process it with something that's not good so you just never know (laughs) how to read those labels sometimes
0: maybe we need stevia in the raw we probably wouldn't like it though if it was if it was not in in a form that was pleasing to the eye and the mouth right
1: yeah well it's it's a little bitter, right? If you've tried it, it's and so it's not quite as good as as just sugar is, I guess, unless you process it. And then, and then perhaps that's no better than just eating sugar. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like.
0: All right, we're on with Doctor Blodgett. We're going to take a break. You okay to hang around with us?
1: Oh yeah, very I'll good.
0: All right, yeah. Nine thirty three on KDXU. Let's uh, check in with weather, a couple of commercials, and then uh, we'll be back here live touch of conservatism, a dash of attitude, and the bound of truth. Only on News Radio 890,
1: 92.5, KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader.
0: Welcome back, 937 on KDXU. Dr. David Blodgett is with me, the director of the Southwest Utah Public Health Department. We'll also hear from Dave Heaton tomorrow, 7.55 here on uh, kdxu and uh, and uh, dave is the uh communications director i guess we call him for SWUPHD. phd that's we need to work on your acronym though no, that's a little long there don
1: yeah it's ponderous isn't it? <laughs> uh
0: can we talk a minute about uh, the uh this high fructose corn syrup now uh, there. I, I mean, for I don't know how it came about or who decided this was a good idea, but they've uh, basically almost everything uh, processed food or whatever that has a sugar-ish flavor. Nowadays, they're putting high fructose corn syrup. What's the difference between that and sugar, and why should we be worried?
1: Well, you know, they use high fructose corn syrup because it's cheap, right? And it's ah. sweet and it sweetens everything and it has a long shelf life and there's just a lot of reasons why um uh, it works. It comes from corn and it's corn syrup and um so it, it rather than just being uh glucose or sucrose, which is in you know, which is table sugar glucose uh, it has fructose attached to it, which is a, a little different uh, structure, um, and and the body processes it a little bit differently. So, um, most of the time, when when you talk about that, it, they they talk about it increasing uh, triglycerides, for example, and uh, contributing to obesity and those kind of things. But mostly, it has to do with the fact that it just is in everything and it's it's got a high calorie density and and it has uh, the capacity to make things taste better so you want to eat them <laughs> you know, stuff like that yeah. so um so it's uh it's very common in many many things and um uh it 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 just, it, it, it had just a little bit different chemical structure, but it's. I, I don't know that that's the necessary the problem. It's just that it's just so ubiquitous and so mm. much, uh, so much added empty calories to so many things. So
0: I read somewhere that it uh, increases fat around the liver, which I'm like, well, so what? I got fat every what, what? What do I care about fat around the liver? What What does that mean? And is that more worrisome than just your regular? belly fat
1: yeah so fatty liver um liver is is an amazing organ it processes all of the toxins out of your system and you know protects you and makes it possible you know you can't live without your liver but so when you when you end up with a fatty liver that's a sign of of degraded liver capacity and over time it can lead to shutdown of your liver so you end up needing to have a liver transplant or something like that it's, I don't know that it's been linked to having that happen common, very commonly with high fructose corn syrup, but you can notice with people that eat a lot of high fructose corn syrup that they have uh, increased uh, uh, fatty liver, and then it can tip over into fatty liver disease, which is um, uh, you know a poorly functioning liver because of that. So
0: there was a push by a lot of this, uh, the soft drink companies, Dr Pepper, Coke, Mountain Dew, et cetera, to uh, come out with, uh, go back to their roots and have, uh, you know, they uh, with cane sugar, you know, Mountain Dew with cane sugar instead of high fructose corn syrup. Uh, that lasted a little while. It was like, a, I don't know, a two or three year fad. You don't really see that anymore. Were people underwhelmed or was there really not that much of a difference?
1: Yeah, I think they were underwhelmed. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, every now and then McDonald's tries to make a big push on salads, right? And then they give up and go back to (laughs) to what they sell. That's
0: right. And uh, and,
1: um, I, I just think, in order for a product to go, people have to be willing to buy it, you know. And um, and the high fructose corn syrup tastes good, so I I just, I and and that's cheap Mm -hmm. And, and. so it was more expensive to produce that way. They probably didn't see much of a difference in what people were buying, and so they just went back.
0: So. Interesting. Um, you know, the, the the high fructose corn syrup is, I mean, if you think about what it's in, uh, it, I, I, honestly, if you think of a product that is sweet out there, whether it's a box of cookies or a candy bar or uh, uh, you know, a bottle of soda or whatever, there's a really good chance it's going to have that high fructose corn syrup in it, isn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. And um, and so that's why labels are good, right? Reading labels are always good. I don't. I don't think the goal should be zero fructose. I just think be aware, right? I mean, if you're consuming sixty-four ounces of a beverage every day, <laughs> there's a lot of things that can go along with that. You know, caffeine, yeah. but fructose is certainly one of them too.
0: Is uh, so you you mentioned fructose and we, of course we're talking about high fructose corn syrup but I mean there's fructose in an orange an apple right in, in the fruits we right. eat is, it, yeah, is that it's the a same stuff? Sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a natural sugar. Okay, so
1: I, I'm, I guess part of the problem with fructose is it, it isn't direct. It, your body doesn't use it directly; it has to be converted into sucrose and, and glucose. So glucose is actually what your your brain functions on. And and but it is it is easily deposited, right? So you end up with a differential towards depositing it in places it shouldn't be versus using it, which is what tends to happen with with glucose. So uh that's part of the problem.
0: All right. Well, so the doctor is recommending we don't give up high fructose corn syrup, but maybe try to be a little more careful with how much we're consuming, right? Yeah, I don't know if I'm saying don't give it up. I'm saying
1: <laughs> be aware of it, and uh, yeah, I, I, this is, we're always about the moderate message, right? Which is sure. is do a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit more of, of the good things and a little bit less of the bad things. And I'd put this in the use it moderately if, or little if you can.
0: By the way, the uh, website is swuhealth.org. dot org. That's the Southwest Utah Public Health Department's website. A lot of great stuff in there. Uh, it is some websites have a shell, and then there's you know there's like an about us and contact, and that's it. But uh, your website is uh, they really they really do a nice job of getting a lot of uh, public health information out there for us as yeah. swuhealth.org. dot org.
1: Well, thank you. You're you're very kind, and, and we're we're adding to that content all the time. <clears throat> you know we're. We have two big pushes that we're pushing for right now is to get really good information about pre-diabetes and diabetes out there. So people, mm-hmm. you know, the data is staggering. Something like 30% of us are now pre-diabetic and 10% of us diabetic and most don't know it, right? So yeah. we're, we're trying to help raise awareness with that and give tools to, to help with that in your life. And And then sleep, you know, we've talked about we'll have uh, more and more content, suggestions, helps on how do you do better job of getting sleep into your life. So.
0: Right, we're going to take a quick break. More with Dr. Blodgett, including what today is. It's a special day, not just my birthday. There's something else going on. And what this month is and why you should uh, go get that colonoscopy, folks. Uh, more, with, more with Dr. Blodgett right after this. Welcome back, 948 on KDXU. Dr. David Blodgett is with me today. It's a special day today, Dr. Blodgett. Yeah, it's my birthday, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, Today is National what?
1: National Peanut Butter Lovers Day.
0: Oh, wow. I'm not a member. I don't know if there's a club or not, but I'm not a member, but I do love peanut butter. Yeah, you know, you, you go on these national
1: observance calendars and you can find all kinds of stuff. I did not know there was such a day, but I think a lot of us should sign up for that club, right?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What are some of the benefits of peanut butter? I mean, it's, well, it's good for you for the most part, right? Yeah, most part. It's a plant-based,
1: you know, thing. It's I, I know that some claim it's high in fats, but you need, you know... Some fats in your diet and uh yeah. i i it's a very good source of protein and uh tends to be pretty reasonably priced, so it's uh you know making make sure you don't add a bunch of other stuff to,
0: to go along with the peanut butter that causes <laughs> trouble but uh uh, I, I was just going to say <laughs> when when paired with jelly it makes a great sandwich when when paired with chocolate it makes a ge- great well just about anything so <laughs> yeah, that's right that uh, is true happy that national That is true but
1: uh, but it's hard to hard to go wrong with
0: peanut butter happy national peanut butter lovers day here in America <laughs> it is also we need to really be serious here it is national Colo- colorectal Health Awareness Month. Tell us what that means and, and what we should be doing.
1: Yeah, so so colorectal cancer is actually um, the depending on how you look at it. For if you combine men and women, it's the second leading cause of cancer death. Wow. in America, and and if if you it, so, but if you say in men and women, then prostate cancer and, and breast cancer go ahead of that, and it becomes third. So, lung cancer and then colorectal cancer, but depending on if you're just looking at men and women. So, so very common cause of of cancer, and only about 60% of us uh, get screened for it. So, um Actually, felt strongly enough about this that I wrote an article in our upcoming issue of our Health magazine. Nice, but but most and you said it. Most people think, oh, I need a I need a colonoscopy, right? And and <clears throat> they've actually lowered the recommended age to start getting a um, cancer screening to 45 because they're starting to see col- colorectal cancer at younger ages. But you don't have to do colonoscopy. There's many options, right? So some people do go like colonoscopy because it's you do it's it's good for 10 years, so you know you don't have to worry about it very often, and uh, it's it's not a big deal. But there's there's other options that are out there. So you can do tests that test for blood in your in your stool, either guaiac or DNA, or there's some tests like that, and they are they are just as good as getting a colonoscopy you know so for some people that works and you do it every year but it's a pretty minor procedure you need you a little bit of your poop <laughs> for a less eloquent term and put it on the card and put a you know a, a reagent drop on there and it'll tell you whether you have you can actually order it over amazon right so wow. a, a pretty easy process uh probably better to even do it with your doctor as part of your your visits with him but a whole different game, right, than trying to prepare yourself for colonoscopy. If you've ever done it, you have to, you know, it's yeah. totally empty and, you know, it, it totally takes three or four days out of your life. And so this is a, a different option. There's also, they have a, a version of colonoscopy, which is called a sigmoidoscopy, where they just do the lower third of your, your colon and it's a much easier procedure. They don't have to put you out and it's it's just an outpatient procedure. That you do every five years yeah mm-hmm. um, they also have uh virtual ways to look at it now that have been mm-hmm. approved so a virtual uh ct or mri uh, something like that so there's there's different options than just jumping to a colonoscopy and i don't think m- many people are aware of that and they're they dread the idea of of having to go in and and uh you know have a have the camera go all the way through their insides and um and and that is is not nearly as bad as people think it will be. But but in all of that spectrum there's there's options that people have that are different than, than just going for a colonoscopy. So.
0: so the the you referenced it and uh we gotta talk about it. That that procedure if you do get a, a full colonoscopy. First of all, the actual procedure itself is no big deal. You they put you to sleep. You, I mean, for me, literally, they gave me some pills or maybe some, I don't remember. I went to sleep and I woke up and they're like, yeah, you're done. And I'm like, really? I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I, uh, But it is the leading up to it, of course. And you talked about having to empty the, uh, and basically, you've got to empty everything out. And there's really uh, pretty much only one way to do that. And that's to, uh, well, to empty everything out uh as far as that, I know you you, you talked about some alternative uh, ways to you know to to get checked, but uh, the, as far as the colonoscopy itself, are they are they coming up with better ways to get the bowels empty to get us in there, or is that pretty much the way it's got to be? Yeah, you still got to still got to do it. You know, I think I, yeah. I think they're less dramatic. You
1: used to have to, you know drink four gallons of uh, yeah, nasty tasting yeah. stuff and now I think they'll let you you do less nasty tasting stuff but uh, um but yeah it's still it still takes a good day of drinking copious amounts of of fluids and uh, <laughs> <laughs> sitting on a toilet yeah and-, and getting
0: a very sore <laughs> rear end and all that stuff I I uh, I had uh, the 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 people that uh, set me up for my colonoscopy a few years ago Uh, They said, look, you're going to have to, you know, and they gave you the direction. You're going to have this much water and this this much whatever. And they said it's a lot more palatable if you mix it with something like, crystal light or something so i right. thought to myself okay well i'll have crystal light and it won't be so bad well now dr blodgett i can't drink crystal light anymore yeah. i have an aversion now <laughs> for you. <laughs> <laughs> it happens i guess yeah. well, whatever beverage you do uh, choose to marry that with and it has to be a clear beverage by the way it can't be you know you can't put a coke or whatever but uh Plan on never drinking that again. I think because <laughs> something in the mind goes, I don't. Yeah, something in the mind says I don't ever want to uh, do that again. Uh, tell me, you you said uh, sigmoidoscopy is is less invasive and easier to do. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so you don't have to. They don't put you out for it, and um, you, generally, it's an outpatient procedure and. I think you still have to do the bowel prep, so that's the problem. But oh. it's a direct visualization, and they only do just the bottom <clears throat> third of your colon, and then, and you know, out your rectum. So, so it's it's a whole different uh, experience, but been shown to be just as effective. There's something about that lower third of the colon. That's where most of the colon cancers are, and, um, and, and- so it, it, it's a little counterintuitive, but it 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 does. It does well.
0: And by the way, I don't know that I that I knew this years ago, but uh, I don't know a lot of people know this. The colon is actually incredibly long. You think of the colon, well, that's just the area right above your tail end, right, and that's all there is. The colon's huge, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yes, it is. Um, I think when you stretch it out, it's over 100 yards long.
0: Oh, wow. Man, oh, man. And, and it goes all the way through your whole uh, body cavity, right? Right.
1: Right. so all the way up under your diaphragm down. And, uh, so I, so in all of this, if, if, if a sign does show up that you've got maybe potentially something going on, then they will go in with the colonoscopy. So, Mm -hmm. so that is one advantage of colonoscopy is that you can maybe treat at the same time as you screen. Right. So if they see a polyp or something, they can take it out right then when they're in there. Um, so I, I think that's why the, a lot of people have, you know, kind of gravitated towards the colonoscopy, but I just, for those 40% of people that aren't doing it, I think understanding that there are other options, uh, I think is important, you know, as part of the health message. I,
0: I, You need to assuage my imagination here. You said self, there's a self-exam for it. That Does that sound, is that what it sounds like? <laughs>
1: No, no. No, okay, I, good. Good. Well, well, maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure what it sounds like. So <laughs> what will happen is is you get the cards, and maybe your doctor gives them to you or you get them, you know, from from the store, but you take when you go to the bathroom, you take some of the of the okay. poo and, yeah. and smear it on the card. <clears> mm-hmm. And then there's a drop you put on there, and if it changes color to a certain color, then there's then there's blood there. Okay, so there's reasons why there can be blood. Maybe you've got, you know, an ulcer or something, or maybe you've got colon cancer and that's causing there to be blood there in your stool, and that's that's the screen, that's the flag that says, well, we got to take a look at this, and, and then they'll go ahead and do other things.
0: So, so what's the, what's the public recommendation if there are no extenuating circumstances, just your average person, uh, what age and how often should we uh, have our colon screened? Age forty
1: five. When you start, okay. Um, uh, if you decide to do one of the ones that, that screen your 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 stool, like we've been talking about, those are yearly. If you do a sigmoidoscopy, those are every five years. If you do a colonoscopy, it's every ten years. Um, and then generally, you stop screening when you hit a bit seventy, because after that, it's. Um,
0: slow it's enough growing yeah. yeah much
1: much improvement after
0: that so I'm happy to say I had a colonoscopy a few years ago and the doctor was he went so far as to say I was the uh, picture of colonosc- colon colonic health the picture of colonic health is oh, what he told go. me so I, I was feeling pretty good about that I don't know know no, what that means but I didn't have any polyps or anything so that's good
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> so. good well, and there are certain people, um, if you have a family history and on a first-degree relative of having colon cancer or, uh, you know, familiar, there's a polyposis, uh, familiar polyposis syndrome, those people need much more frequent than that. But the, but just for the general population, those are recommendations.
0: He's Dr. David Blodgett, Southwest Utah Public Health Department. Thank you, doctor. Appreciate it.
1: Sure. Wonderful to talk to you, Andy. You know, uh, I'll be there next time. No snow.
0: Okay. <laughs> Sound, sounds good. Uh, 9.59. And, and happy birthday to you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow, Michelle Randall will join me here on the air on Mayor Thursday on The Andy Griffin Show. Thanks for listening.